Wow, doesn't it feel good to worship God? And uh, with all that's happening in our world, it is just so wonderful to come together like this and uh, join our hearts and uh, voices together and lift up the strong, strong name of Jesus. So glad to see each of you here today and all that are viewing online. We welcome you into uh, what I just call the most exciting church in all the world. Midland Valley Community, Church of the Nazarene, and uh, these are different days, but God is still the same. And uh, we worship Him in spirit, in truth today, in the beauty of Christian holiness, and we're so glad that you have chosen to be with us. What a mighty God we serve, and uh, just excited to see what God wants to say in His Word I uh, I think even after we get kids way open, I've had some people kind of uh, whispering in my ear, they want Pastor Penny to do a little sermon in here every Sunday. Uh, in fact, somebody told me, uh, uh, they said, we, we might like hers better than yours. And uh, I, uh, I tell you what, I always love hearing Pastor Penny. What a good word she shared with us. Nursery is back open starting today. So uh, that's a positive move in the right direction. We're going to keep the social distancing seating arrangement for the rest of July. And uh, this, uh, this service looks good. Uh, 1040 service, there's still plenty of room for people to come into that one. So we'll keep going like this in July, and hopefully in August we can open back up further. But you just keep praying for us and that God would put a hedge of protection around our people. Uh, we don't want to go backwards, and uh, we're just praying that God will lead, guide, and direct us in this. And excited to share the Word with you today. Get your Bibles. The Old Testament, last book of the Old Testament, so this should be an easy to find, Malachi. Malachi is a little minor prophetic book. I'll let you find it because we're going to use a good bit of the Scripture. And while you're turning, let me just give you an update on Faith Promise. And if you have not got a pledge in, there's some of these cards laying around uh, in the sanctuary, and they're back there on the table where the offering boxes are as well as the Welcome Center. Our goal is $75,000 for missions. We are now up over $50,000 with our faith promises. And uh, let's just continue to see that number go on up as we know you can never, never outgive God. So thankful, thank, you, thank you for your faithfulness in uh, regard to this. And then one more announcement I want to give you. Next Sunday night, 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock, next Sunday evening, July 12th, I'm going to be hosting a Zoom welcome class. There are some folks that are wanting to join our church, and uh, we want them to join. And uh, if you'd like to be part of that, we've already got, I think, five or six signed up to do this. Just get an email into the church office or call us this week, and we'll get you ready to go. We'll do our next in-person welcome classes starting in September, the Lord willing. And uh, if you're not real tech-savvy and don't want to do the Internet, just hold on. We'll get to you in September. But if you'd like to participate in uh, Pastor's Zoom welcome class next Sunday evening, 5 to 7 p.m., let us know if you'd like to, and we'll get you all signed up and ready to go. All right. 
Malachi chapter 1, and let me just give you kind of the context of this book. Again, it's the last book in the Old Testament. The time frame of this is probably about 450 to 400 B.C., and the temple, Solomon's temple, David's temple, had been destroyed when uh, the children of Israel were banished to exile, but now they have returned, and the temple has been reconstructed, and the walls have been rebuilt. You Old Testament Bible readers know the story. And so it really started out as they came back to temple worship. It was a time of revival. It was a time of, of kind of a fresh awareness of the Holy One Himself. But now, as Malachi is writing, listen to this, worship had become lifeless. In just a little while, it turned back into business as usual. And there was apathy in the pulpit as well as the pew. And, and the language in the Old Testament would be the priest and the people. There, there was this, 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 this spiritual apathy. Intermarriages with unbelievers were common. And, of course, that was something that God forbid. And uh, taxes were heavy in the land. And the people were withholding their tithes and their offering. And so Malachi is going to preach a sermon. He's going to bring a prophetic word against the people of God. And the message of Malachi's prophecy is essentially this. The name of God is going to be great among all nations. And if you don't worship me right, I'll find someone else who will. That literally is the message of Malachi's prophecy. So now as we read this today, I want you to see the striking similarity to where we are in America. We are a nation that was founded on godly, biblical principles. And we had a great beginning. And we've had a wonderful run for 244 years. But I believe this message today is prophetic for America. And I want you to, to, to pray with me as we get into the Word today. Malachi chapter 1, and we're just going to go ahead and read the entirety of the first chapter. Malachi chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, an oracle. Now what that literally means is, this is a heavy word. This is a burden. Sometimes it's translated. And anybody that's ever preached or anybody that's ever taught a lesson, sometimes you just sense the, the heaviness of the message. And, and, and the powerful conviction that, that, that goes into this word. This is serious. An oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. 
Has America been loved of the Lord? You better believe it. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Or what have you done for me lately? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? The Lord says, yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. Now again, this whole message is going to be, if you don't worship me the right way, God says, I'll find someone who will. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? I think everybody can see that illustration in family relationships. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priest. See, this, this problem was in the pulpit as well as the pew. It is you, O priest, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar. We actually used this next verse in our message last week. And let's just see again how the people were taking shortcuts Instead of giving God their best, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Remember, every animal that came through uh, the gate into the city, every tenth animal was marked and would be a tithe unto God, a sacrifice. And yet the people thought they were smart in conjunction with the priest. They said, well, let's just kill the crippled animal. Let's just kill the, the lame animal, the sick animal. going to die anyway. And God said, no. I want your best, not your leftovers, not your sick animals, Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Verse 9, Now implore God to be gracious to us. And that's what we're crying out for today in America. Now implore God to be gracious to us. With such offering from your hands will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. See, there cannot be this complacency when it comes to serving God. It's not just going through the motions of religiosity. I'd rather the church doors be shut permanently if that's the kind of attitude that we're giving towards our worship. Do not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. This is a heavy message. 
I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands if the heart motive is not right. My name will be great among the nations. If you don't worship me right, I'll find someone who will. My name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it, verse 12, by saying of the Lord's table, it is defiled, and of its food, it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. What a burden. Oh, let's never look at church as a burden. Let's never look at worship as a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. Can't you get that imagery? This is not something to be taken lightly. This demands all of our heart. When you bring your injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord. Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Heavenly Father is... We get into this Word today. Oh, I pray, Lord, that Your Holy Spirit would do the preaching today. I pray that, Lord, we would get the Word that You have for us today. Lord, this is a heavy message. This is a burdensome message. And, Lord, I just pray again supernaturally that You will convey it, that we will get it today, that we will not miss it. Our country is in desperate need for revival. You so desperately want to heal our land. We believe that. We claim that today. Now, Lord, may we face up to the facts today. May may we acknowledge maybe even the complacency, the apathy that has crept into our lives when it comes to serving You and worshiping You May your Holy Spirit do what you desire to do in here today and forever and forever we'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise in Jesus' name. And everyone in agreement say, Amen. The title of my sermon today is, I Still Love America. Can I get an amen on that? I still love America. You realize we are blessed beyond measure. We could have been born in any third world country around the globe, but in the providence of God, somehow, some way, you and I have had the privilege, and I use that word in a positive way, of being born and raised in America. And this country has seen the hand of God's blessing and bounty like no other. From the Golden Gate to the Empire State, from the Gulf to the Great Lakes, from the Atlantic to the Pacific, and all the heartland in between, north, south, east, west, I still love America. What a country. We warm up our tea to make it hot, and then we put ice in it to make it cold. 
Put sugar in it to make it sweet and put lemon in it to make it sour. What a country. We drive on our parkways and we park in our driveways. I still love America. But then the subtitle of my message today, But America is Losing. Now I want to be very clear up front. God is not losing. My name will be great among the nations. But it's America now that has this responsibility. To whom much has been given, much is required. And we're going to have to face some facts today. We started off well. I put in your notes, in fact, begin to fill in some blanks here, from the Mayflower Compact of 1620, those pilgrims that crossed an ocean came to America in the name of God. In the name of God, they said, we have undertaken this journey for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. That was the starting point of our nation. Now again, all you have to do is picture today Americans tearing down statues of Jesus, tearing down monuments of the Ten Commandments. What has happened? We started well. Samuel Adams wrote concerning the Declaration of Independence in 1776, We have this day restored Thee, O God, as sovereign, to whom all men ought to be obedient. He reigns in heaven, and from the rising to the setting sun, let His kingdom come. Several years ago, I walked up to the fence of a Little League baseball game. And I shouted out at the little left fielder. I said, what's the score? And that little boy, he said, we're losing 19 to nothing. And I I laughed and I said, well, son, why are you smiling? Why are you so happy about that? He said, oh, mister, he said, we haven't batted yet. Now, I love his optimism. And I would like to tell you this morning, that's the case with America, but it's not. We've already batted. We started well. It's not the first inning for us. Prophetically, it could very easily be the bottom of the ninth inning. My name's going to be great. God's not losing. I still love America But America is losing. Now let me tell you what we're losing. We're losing our values. We're losing our foundation. One nation under God built on that foundation of of godly authority. The the Bible being our, our guidebook, our textbook. We're losing, let me say it like this, our our boundaries. We're losing our, 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 our fences. Now, now, let me tell you what I'm saying there. There's nothing wrong with fences. There's nothing wrong with boundaries. They serve a purpose. They protect us. 
you may not like them. The Ten Commandments, you know what the Ten Commandments are? They are guardrails that keep us on the road that we're supposed to be traveling on. And yet we're losing the guardrails, we're losing the boundaries, the fences are being moved. There, there, there's, a, there's a proverb in Scripture that says, do not remove the ancient landmarks. It's very important that we keep some absolute truths instead of moving the boundary line, instead of rewriting the history, if you please. So let me give you four things here this morning that America is losing in that context. Number one, in your notes, write this down. America is losing our sense of eternity. America is losing our sense of eternity. And this is not something that is brand new. It's always been this mindset that you just live for the here and now. In fact, the Scripture phrases it like this, eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we're going to die. But folks, that is a mindset that is of the devil. We must live in light of eternity. We must live with our eyes on the heavenly prize. We we are instructed in Scripture. As Christians, we are citizens of two worlds. Yes, we are citizens of America today, but we are citizens of the heavenly kingdom, the kingdom of God, and we must get our focus on the eternal goal. Now, now listen to this. I think it's a powerful statement. When we no longer feel that life has destiny, when, when we kind of feel as though the world's a mess and America's just going to hell in a handbasket, there's a tendency even for us on the inside that call themselves Christians just to kind of relax and try to make the best of this day and this world Let me tell you something. When we no longer feel that life has destiny and we're not focused on the eternal goal, then this life can easily lose its meaning and value. And we just kind of settle in to this is what it's all about and so things like materialism, become very important to us. If I can just have the nicer home and the fancier car and all the creature comforts of life, then I feel good about myself. And I'm doing well. And yet all of that is just stuff that's measured in this earthly realm. When we lose lose the eternal viewpoint, The tendency is for mankind just to live for the day, eat, drink, be merry. Tomorrow we're going to die, so make the most of this realm. Materialism creeps in. Next thing you know, secularism. It's a very humanistic mindset. That's that's happened in America. And then if we're not careful, the materialism, the secularism 
can really just turn into a hedonism and America is fast heading down that road. We see it. Today, would you accept the challenge to get your eyes, as we sung earlier, on Jesus? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Understand the heavenly goal is is to be what guides us. I just want to say this as well. Because it comes into the church, that's what Malachi was prophesying against. The preachers are not telling the whole story. And so the people have become laxed and complacent. Let me tell you something, folks. There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. But when was the last time you even heard, I mean, a powerful sermon on the second coming of Jesus Christ? We've just kind of decided, let's do all the self-help we can for this world, make the most of this realm, and we've forgotten, we've lost the message of eternity. America is losing our sense of eternity. Number two, write this down, we're losing our sense of morality. We're losing our sense of morality. Now again, the message here for the last several years in America is pretty much if it feels good, do it. But let's rewind that. If it's right, do it. But what happens when we lose our sense of eternity and the focus is on now and the earthly realm? Then the next thing you know, our morality is up for sale. And we allow things that at one time in our Christian conviction we would never have allowed into our homes, into our lives. Now, I've told you before, I grew up in a very strict environment, ultra-conservative. I grew up where I heard mom and dad say, turn that TV off. We're not going to listen to that filth, turn that radio off, switch to this channel. But you know what's happened over time? Even in the church, we just tolerate. And now all of a sudden, we let things go that normally we never would have let go. And we just say it's the culture. And we want to get along with everybody. And what's happened? The fences have been taken down. The boundary lines have been moved. And and so now it's almost just anything goes is what drives us instead of a moral compass. The Word of God. The Holy Spirit. And when we lose the moral compass of truth, we cannot discern right from wrong. And what we're dealing with is a heart in the first place that is inherently evil, the Bible says, and is inclined towards wickedness, sin. This word that Malachi was preaching to the church still applies to the church in America in 2020. Let's get back to what the Bible says. Let's get back to what is right, not just what is convenient, not just what won't rock the boat. Let's be willing to stand up for righteousness, for godliness, for holiness 
in our homes, in our families. If our society is ever going to change, it starts with us. Those of us on the inside that call themselves Christian. And I know, especially right now, with, with the temperature so high and all of the tensions that are frayed right now, sometimes we just step back and say, I'm not going to get involved, but there's a time for the church to stand up. There's a time to call out sin. And, and I know there's a lot of latitude in the body of Christ. I was sharing with someone this week, but I will continue to preach the whole counsel of God. And I will continue to call out, even in an election year, what the Bible calls sin. And we need to be reminded as, as, as people of God that, that some of the issues today, when it comes to abortion, I'm not going to back up on that. Abortion is sin. Abortion is wrong. When it comes to the, 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 the questions of human sexuality and marriage, I'm not going to back up on that. Marriage is one man, one woman. Something that God ordained. And again, I don't have to give illustrations. You know how far we've fallen in this regard. I, I saw a wedding not long ago where the best man was a woman identifying as a man. And the maid of honor was uh, a man identifying as a woman. Now, folks, again, TV, the movies have just made this acceptable in our culture. And so the kids have grown up and said that this is the way it is. The media, Hollywood, has glamorized sin. And the church has allowed fences to be moved boundary lines to be redrawn and in an effort just to get along America is losing America is losing our sense of eternity we're losing our sense of morality number three write this down we're losing our sense of accountability we're losing our sense of accountability Boy, do we see this with no respect for authority. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. See, when you go down that road, and it's all about the here and now, then I'm just going to live for myself. I'm not accountable to anyone. And, of course, bad things start happening, and what we do is blame everybody else. And we become the victims and if we just shout loud enough, we justify almost any of our actions. But I'm telling you folks, when we lose our accountability, our conscience can no longer be trusted. I don't know how many times people will say to me, but pastor, my conscience is clear. You know what the Bible says? Our conscience can become seared. It may not be as clear as you think it is because our conscience can be influenced by the culture of the day. We've moved the fences. We've moved the boundary lines. So now we buy the lie. And we've decided that worship can be anything we want it to be. And God said, I won't accept it. 
I won't accept something less than. If we're not willing to submit to His authority, if we're not willing to submit to the rules, oh, we don't like that word, do we? But you realize rules are good things. They're there for our protection. They're guardrails. Tammy and I have been married 33 years. You know what? There's rules that I have to follow. I'd think there'd be some men saying amen right there. I mean, I learned early on I can either be right or I can be happy. <laughs> and it's not a bad thing. It's for our protection. God wants to keep us accountable. He wants to keep our marriages pure. He wants to keep our families intact. The roaring lion is going to and fro, devouring, tearing up the family units. So there's nothing wrong with accountability. There's nothing wrong with, 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 with letting the Bible be the lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And, and, and there's guidelines, there's guardrails that keep us on the straight and narrow. But America is losing. Our sense of eternity, our sense of morality, our sense of accountability. Number four, write this down. We're losing our sense of passion. We're losing our sense of passion. Now, some of you right there might say, well, wait a minute, Pastor. I mean, we see all kinds of passion out in the streets. <laughs> I, I, I mean, the, the, the rioters, the protesters. I mean, there's, there's passion out there. No. In a lot of ways, that's back to animal instinct. And, and, and if I just shout loud enough, I, I'm, gonna, I'm not accountable to anybody else. Uh, I'm going to do what I want to do. What I'm getting at here with point number four, we're losing our sense of passion. We're losing our sense of passion for what is right. Not what's easy. Not what's popular. But we're losing our passion for what is right. And the same thing is happening in the American church that was happening in the Old Testament that Malachi rebuked. We have let something so very precious become too familiar. And now church is just something we do out of habit. And we come in, we put our time in, we read our Bible, we checked off, I read a chapter today, and there's no life in it. There's no passion in it. And here's what's scary, and I found this to be true as I'm getting older, apathy tends to increase with age. When we were younger, the fire was burning. And we were passionate. But as you get older, again, sometimes it's just, it's just not worth it. And I, I don't want to fight that fight. And I don't want to rock the boat. And I don't want to... And we kind of just settle in. But that's where things like compromise take place. And again, we allow the boundaries to be moved. And we're just not going to... I mean, life can be tough. I love a guy. He, 
he'd had his second heart attack, and he he was telling his wife as she stood there by his bedside, Ethel, he said, you've been here for me down through the years. He, he said, you were there when I lost my job years ago. He said, you were there when we had to file for bankruptcy. He said, you were there when we lost the house. You were there for me when I had my first heart attack. You've been here for me now that I've had my second heart attack. Ethel, he said, you're bad luck. (laughs) Life can be tough, but in the midst of it, let's never, never, never lose our passion for what is right and not cave in. I've always loved the story of the young student who was enamored with the great ancient philosopher Socrates. And he met Socrates, and he said to him, Oh, great Socrates, he said, I desire wisdom and knowledge like you have. And Socrates said, Okay, follow me. And he led the young man out into the sea, the water, all the way till water was up to their necks. And Socrates said, Young man, what is it you want? And the young student said, Oh, great Socrates, he said, I desire wisdom and knowledge like you have. Socrates said, okay, and he took the young man by the hair of the head, pushed his head underwater, and held his head underwater for 15 seconds. Pulled him up by the hair of the head, and he said, son, what do you want? And the young man said, oh, great Socrates, I desire wisdom and knowledge like you have. And Socrates said, okay, pushed his head back underwater, this time held it underwater for 30 seconds. Pulled him up by the hair of the head, said, Son, what do you want? Oh, great Socrates, I desire wisdom and knowledge like you have. And Socrates said, Okay, said, I thought that's what you said. This time pushed his head underwater, held it underwater for one full minute. Pulled him up by the hair of the head, said, Son, what do you want? And the young man said, I want air. Socrates said, okay. He said, the moment you want wisdom and knowledge, that's what you say you want. The moment you want wisdom and knowledge like you now want air in order to breathe, in order to live, he said, that's when you're going to have it. Now, I, I wonder if anybody gets that today in the context, America is losing. We need revival. God's okay. If you don't worship me right, he says, I'll find somebody else. But America needs revival If we would desire as a church, as a people of God, a fresh move of God, a real God sent from uh, from heaven, Holy Ghost fire revival, if we would want that so desperately, so passionately, that we want it like the next breath of air in order to live, in order to breathe, not just whatever's going to be going to be, and I'm just going to set this one out. No. I'm going to rise up and be found faithful in this moment. That's our only hope, God, uh, folks, that God would heal our land today. The Old Testament revival text, if my people, that's you and I, called by my name, humble themselves. Yes, those of us on the inside that call ourselves Christian, repent. There's room for forgiveness. There's room for repentance, even in the saved and sanctified life. For the sake of our country. Would you be willing to pray a prayer today? The prayer of of revival 
is, God, change my heart. In fact, give me a new heart, one that's on fire for you. There's a warning there at the end of your sermon notes. Write this down, what we tolerate today, our children will embrace tomorrow. And we've seen that. It's, it, it's not the first inning, folks. It's the, it's the ninth inning. We've got one chance. And that's for the people of God to call upon the name of the Lord and say, revive us again. Fill us with that fervor and fire of our first love. I say it often. I'm going to say it again here today. America's greatest need is not patriotism. America's greatest need is revival. I want you to bow your heads. And I'm even going to ask this today. Pastor Mike's going to come and lead us in a powerful song. We've not really been using the altars, but if you just feel prompted, I think it'd be in order for a few people just to come down to these altars and you can space out, space apart, and say, Lord, I want to pray for America today. I want to pray that you would heal our land today. That's it. God bless you right now. Just some of you get up and and move forward here. I think this would be in order today. Heavenly Father, oh, we so desperately want to see a fresh move of God. And Lord, I, I just feel that I'm preaching to the best of the best in here today. We love our church. But Lord, I just sense your word so strong this week that even those of us who would testify today that all's on the altar of sacrifice, God, change our hearts, break our hearts afresh and anew. Lord, give us the burden for our country. Give us the burden for righteousness, godliness, holiness. And may we truly understand getting back to God. Not just a cliché. May we truly understand the concept of revival. There are things that, Lord, have been moved. There are fences that have been torn down. Boundary lines that have been erased. The ancient landmarks have come down. God, would you restore today? And, Lord, may we truly be frontline people when it comes to the cause of Christ. Not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stand up, even in a difficult time, and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So I just pray a blessing on every home, every family in here today. May we be part of the answer to this problem. May we be, be those that, Lord, are found faithful. And, Lord, would you hear our prayer today, hear our cry and heal our land. We pray in the name of Jesus. Let's just continue to pray as we sing, church. You take our lives, flawed yet beautiful.